0: Carrie started talking about her childhood. I guess I'll start talking about mine a little bit. I'm sure most of y'all know I was a Miss Schaefer's kid. I went to Miss Schaefer's daycare center and I don't remember a lot about those days, but I remember a few things. I remember at the after all the kids had eaten, learned, napped, played hard and everything, we would all sing a song at the end of the day. Clean up Clean up, everybody do your share. Clean up, clean up. And all the toys that we'd gotten out throughout the day, all the youngins would come together and they would pick them up, put them back where they belonged. See, we were all taught at a young age that our actions are important. They are a part of our life. And Christians are called to a higher societal standard than just normal people that aren't believers. And Paul, he told us this in 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brother and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Paul, he is telling believers that their actions... They matter. Our actions today should be different from the world around us. And I aim to help Christians with understanding the power of their actions. Paul, in this book, is writing to the church of Corinth. And he makes a distinct connection between them and the early Israelites. The Corinthians were also participating in idol worship. And these Israelites were in the desert. They were led by Moses and provided by God. By God. God provided them with manna and water. And these provisions are all symbolic of Christ. Yet these Israelites were provided for and they were still unfaithful to God. And God, He was ultimately displeased with them. Paul is showing how the misuse of liberty can disqualify Christians from effective service to Christ. Paul tells the Corinthians of uh, familiar stories. He begins telling them of the Jews' enslavement and exodus. Israel, they spent 400 years enslaved to the Egyptians. They were overworked, abused. It was just a bad time for them. And God, He eventually sent the 10 plagues to the Egyptians, and the Israelites were delivered by God. And the exodus from Egypt, it didn't represent salvation. But all people are saved through a personal faith in God. The exodus was God calling His chosen people. The Israelites were to be His witnessing community to the whole world. And the Israelites began misusing their freedom and became disqualified by falling into many, sin, into many sins, just as idolatry, immorality, rebelliousness, and Paul was telling this to the Corinthians to basically say to them, don't let what happened to the Israelites, don't let that happen to you. Use that as an example for us today. Don't let that happen to you. And Paul, he was reminded, he was reminding experienced believers who were strong in the faith that they should not grow overconfident in their ability to overcome temptation. And he gave three warnings, and I want to share those with you this morning. Would you please bow with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that I'll be able to preach with authority this morning, God. I pray that I'll be able to preach these words in which my people can understand it, God. And I ask this in your holy Son's name. And Amen. First, he warned that privileges were no guarantee of success. So let's look at some similarities of the early Israelites and early believers. Israel had been delivered from Egypt by the power of God, just as Christian believers are delivered from sin by Jesus God provided the Israelites with manna and water the Corinthians were provided for with spiritual bread supplied by God and these spiritual privileges did not stop the Jews from sinning and you see there are dangers to maturity just as immaturity and one of these is overconfidence church do you all ever feel overconfident? I believe there are times when I certainly do. And what I have found to discover, what I've discovered is that whenever I think I'm strong, I'm actually weak. And I think that looks like sometimes, oh, I don't need to pray. I've got grace. I don't need to repent. I got, I'm saved. I can keep living like this. I'm saved by grace. And you see, this right here can be a form of overconfidence. Overconfidence. For many believers, just because we're saved by grace, just because we're saved by grace, doesn't mean we need to look for every opportunity to use it. Because we have grace doesn't mean we need to cheapen it with sin. Grace isn't a license to sin. The Israelites sinned. The Corinthians sinned. Paul, he sinned. I've sinned. In fact, the Bible says, for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. This overconfidence that Paul speaks of... It's adultery, immorality, and just in general, evil things. And adultery, it happens in the world, modern Western world all the time. We pull out our uh, cell phones. More often than we do, read the Bible. We take political figures' words more seriously than we do the Holy Word of God. And Paul, he's yelling at us, wake up! Don't let what happened to the Israelites, don't let that happen to you. Take their example. Learn from their weaknesses. Understand your weakness and use His strength. If he ain't a part of it, we need to understand we shouldn't want any part of it. And that's really the bottom line. The first president of the United States was George Washington. He was a revolutionary war hero. And one time he was walking down his home in Mount Vernon with General Lafayette. And President Washington, he surprised General Lafayette this day. They are walking down the home in this slave was passing by, and this slave stopped right in front of him, took off his hat, and bowed to him and said, Have a good day, Mr. Washington. Good morning. You know, George Washington, beyond not, didn't let a second pass. He took off his hat and bowed back to the slave. Good morning. Slave kept walking. George Washington, Lafayette, they kept walking, and there was about a minute of silence. And General Lafayette said to George Washington, dude, you are the president. You are a war hero. What are you doing bound to this slave? Why would you do that? And General Washington with a smile on his face said, I would not allow him to be a better gentleman than I. And what that means to me is we can't be overconfident, especially in our faith. We must be humble and obedient to Him. We must be constant learners of His Word. We don't have it all figured out so we must seek His counsel. We must seek to find His will. When we're strong, we're weak. And this brings us to Paul's second warning. Good beginnings do not guarantee good endings. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5-12 through 12 says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be dilators as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The Israelites experienced crazy, out-of-this-world miracles, and they were all performed by God. Even though this happened, they were provided for all of this stuff, these Israelites they still failed when they were tested in the wilderness. And all the Israelites, they experienced the same common blessings of liberty, baptism, and spiritual provisions. They misused and abused their liberty and their blessings and their freedom. In self-centeredness and self-will, they tried to live on the edge of their liberty and they fell into temptation. They lay with temptation and that led them to sin. Overconfidence was their own undoing. Many of these Israelites became unfit for God's service. Paul, he often refers to this as a vessel of dishonor. And from the sin, a lot of the Israelites died while in the desert wandering. Now the church of Corinth is saying to Paul, I've been going to church my whole life. I have heard the story of the Israelites a thousand times. What does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with our church? Paul was saying to the Corinthians, you're guilty of the same sins as the Israelites. They were guilty of immorality, adultery, and speaking against God. And the judgment experienced by the Israelites is an example for us that we should not crave evil things. One of the easiest ways to fall into temptation is by being an overconfident Christian. Oh, Rage, you're talking about the Old Testament. Sin was a bit different back then. You sinned, it was dealt with in harsh terms. That doesn't really apply today. Sin in the church today is far more serious because we have the example of the Israelites to live by. And I agree with you to sin against the law is one thing, but to sin against grace, that's something else. We should remember that the Israelites they faced hardships. And tough times. We can't do the same things that they did. We can't have the same stumbling blocks in our lives. We have a beautiful church sign out in the front. Beautiful. And Brother Don Barry, he ups that thing, updates that thing quite frequently. He puts a sermon series, announcements, all that other good stuff up on the sign as needed. I remember we were in between sermon series. It was several years back. And he put up on one side of the sign, Jesus loves you. He left it up for about a week. He came back the next week, and some of the letters were gone. They were missing. I don't know what happened. I don't know if some kids got some sticky fingers. I don't know if the wind got a hold of them. I don't know, but what once said, Jesus loves you, didn't make any sense. You know, if you got a J, an S, a U, L, V, E, U missing, it's not going to make no sense. It's missing letters. And I think a Christian's job is to ultimately tell other people, you know what, Jesus loves you. Unfortunately, by not living by faith, our sign, it can become messed up. You know, we can be missing vowels, we can be missing consonants, it don't make no sense. And we can become a stumbling block for ourselves, we can become a stumbling block for other people and fellow believers. So let our actions speak life and be a testimony to others. And that brings us to Paul's third warning. God can enable us to overcome temptation if we heed His word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13, 21, and 22 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Paul, once again in this passage, is calling out overconfident Christians. Paul's telling us, you know what? God, He is going to let us be tempted. He knows how much we can take. He will not over-tempt us to where we can't avoid sin. And temptation itself is not sinful. Temptation itself is not sinful, but how the Corinthians were responding to temptation, they were letting it lead them to sin. Now that indeed is sinful. Paul writes that when Christians are tempted, they can call upon God during that time. In verse 22, Paul asks the church of Corinth, Are we stronger than he He was telling the mature Christians in the church that you may be stronger than your brother and sister over here. You may be stronger than your brother and sister that go to church down the road, but you're not stronger than God. The overall warning in this passage is don't stand all tall and mighty, holier than thou in your position with Christ. But the overall warning is to keep alert, be on guard, or you will fall. I'd be willing to bet honest people in the room would say they're tempted every day. But the circumstances that tempt us aren't that different from what other generations of Christians have faced. We never have to give in to temptation, though. There's always an escape hatch that can keep us from falling into temptation. In this passage, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This week when I was reading this, my initial thought to this passage was, Paul, what are you telling me? Does this mean that God tempts us? Absolutely not. If you read James one thirteen, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. So we know God does not tempt us. We found that out. But if we continue reading, we find out that God allows temptation as trials or as tests for us. James 1.12 says, "Blesses is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Paul, What Paul is saying is that when we are tempted, God is with us. When we are tempted, God will help. When we are tempted, He will provide a way out. He's not saying we can avoid temptation. He's not saying we can get around... Like, He's not saying we can't have temptation in our lives, because it is a part of our lives. We can't avoid temptation, but what we should avoid is letting it lead us to sin. Do you all remember in high school where you either watched, or you actually did this experiment? I think I watched it on a computer that was built in the 1700s. But you'd have a stovetop and a kettle. You would put water in it and you'd set the thing up and it would be boiling water. Really hot. Boiling water. You would throw this frog in this pot. And this frog would jump out immediately. Okay? Then let's say you take that, uh you take the heat down to where it's not hot, you know, kind of room temperature, I guess. And then you put this frog in the pot. And then you slowly ride the heat up. Slowly to a slow boil. You finally get it boiling that frog's going to stay in that pot. It's going to boil itself to death because it is used to the temperature now. I feel as if sin is a lot like the frog in the kettle. We're not cool with it. We're not cool with sin. But if we're slowly tempted, we're slowly eased in, we become more comfortable with it. And that's of the flesh. Romans 8, 12-13 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We can't live by our flesh. We must seek God during temptation. Only through Him can we get through it. Would my musicians come forward and begin playing softly, please? Today we read a very large portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We read that Paul was telling believers their actions, they mattered, And our actions should be different from the world around us. And I hope to help Christians with understanding the power of their actions. We learned that a Christian's privileges were no guarantee of success. Good beginnings do not guarantee good endings. And that God can enable us to overcome temptation if we heed His word. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? After being a Christian for many years, I believe we become comfortable, content at where we're at. We become comfortable where we are in our spiritual life. You see, church, we need to press on. We need to keep going. A verse that comes to mind is Revelation 3.16. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Don't be content where you're at. There is stuff to be done. What stuff is there? What comes to mind is to be discipled. To to be discipled means to be disciplined. That means when there is temptation and trials, we can't be making the easy decision and just falling a snare. We are vessels of God. We are the bride of Christ. When we think we're strong and tall, that's when we fall. So what stumbling blocks do you have in your life this morning? Alcohol, drugs, maybe it's lying, gossiping, family, friends, I don't know, your past. But what's keeping you from pressing on in your life? What's stopping you from pressing on in your spiritual life? Whatever it is, I want to pray with you this morning. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Nobody's looking around. Amen. Yep. Okay. If you raise your hand, I want to pray with you this morning. Dear God, you are a gracious God. You are a good God. And Father, we have sinned against you in your perfect design. But because of grace, we are pure, Father. I pray that we lean on you during our trials and tribulations. Because when I rely on my strength, I tend to mess stuff up. So we need to rely on your strength. So, Father, help us to be in line with your will and help us find comfort in your arms. And, Father, if it's in your will, anything that's holding us back from taking that next step in our journey, Father, taking that next step in our faith, I just pray that you remove it from our lives, God, if it's in your will. And I ask this in your Holy Son's name. and Amen.